0: This actually is the last in our series on Habakkuk, and I've I have heard some some uh, responses from people that they're really sad that we are ending our time in Habakkuk because it's kind of like people have said, well, we're just getting to know the guy, you know, he only wrote three chapters, so when you get to heaven, just be like, I, I wanted a little more, but that's all good. That's or maybe he'll just say, I wanted you, I wanted you. leave him wanting more, right? That's the whole idea, and um. Uh, But that's okay. And so in just a minute, we'll we'll get to that. It's the end of chapter 3, and it's just the last three verses. It's 17, 18, and 19. So if you want to find your way to that in in your own Bibles, in a few minutes, it'll be up on the screen as well. But Habakkuk chapter 3, just the last three verses, 17, 18, and 19. And uh, we entitled the, the whole series, For Real, God, because it's okay to question God in the chaos of life, and we have seen Habakkuk do that. Uh, and so today, as we bring that message to a close, I think it'll be quite obvious the change in transformation that happened in Habakkuk's heart and mind, the transformation that we've been praying for would happen in our lives as well through our whole time together. Uh, And so, before we dive into those last three verses, I'll do a a recap as well. But I also wanted to uh, just give you a a heads up of what's coming next. And so, the new sermon series will begin uh, next week, and it'll take us through November and December and then into just the very first um, uh, week of January. But uh, it is called Epic, and it is uh, exploring essential theology as revealed in the greatest story ever told. Now, how is that for a title of a series? That's a mouthful, right? So you can just remember Epic. So here's the idea, church. So, you know, um, it, during the holidays, it's, it's often a time where, where we can kind of look at different topics before the beginning of the year, and we'll start a, a new book of the Bible right after the first of the year. And so what I thought would be really important for us, uh, especially ending one year and, and trying to begin the, the, the next year, is that we look at, The essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Why is theology important and what are those those big themes and topics in theology that we need to talk about? Now, theology itself can sound kind of boring, but you know what? As Christians, we're all called to be theologians because you know what theology means? It really means the study of God. It means God word, theology, God word. So studying God's word and who he is. And there's all different aspects of theology And they have their fancy terms, and we'll look at them. But we're going to look at each one every week. But we're going to do it in a unique way so that there's a flow to it, right? Because this is much more than just a class on theology, right? We we know there's got to be application and inspiration for us. And so we are going to look at the essential theology of the Christian faith, but through the flow of the Bible story from Genesis to Revelation. And so we will do that in two short months. So the way it looks, though, is we start, of course, with God. It's called theology proper or patrology, paterology, which is the study of God himself and his attributes. And then, of course, we move into the, the Holy Spirit, and it's called pneumatology. And we, we look at all of these different things, but we're going to look at the flow from God, the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at his creation, us, our story, our place in that. And then, you know, in every epic grand story, there's usually something that goes awry or goes wrong. Think of all of the, the, the stories that you love or the movies and, and, that have been made from epic novels. And you see throughout time, throughout history, they all have these common elements that things start off really good. But then something happens to create turmoil and chaos And then usually the rest of the story is the main characters trying to to bring it back to, to the way that it started. It's perfection. We see that from Genesis to Revelation as well, and God creating what he wanted in perfection. But then we know that there was a problem, and we call that sin. But then what is the cure for that disease, right? And we see it is salvation by grace through faith, and who brought that to us? But it's Christ himself. And so... Um, I didn't. Um, we're not going to talk about Jesus right at the beginning, even though we should. We're going to save that until Christmas, because why wouldn't we talk about the incarnation, the incarnate God, right during Christmas? And so we will see that flow, and then we'll talk about the church, which is called the ecclesiology, and then right after the new year, the grand finale is eschatology, which is the study of the end times. So we end with that because that's the end of the flow, and we see God's plan. But we actually start the new year with that, because the end is truly the beginning for us, isn't it? Beginning of eternity, and so that'll be our sermon series for the next couple of months. It'll be a great opportunity. To invite some some friends out, some people that you know that you've been that you've been proclaiming the gospel to and sharing life with in your faith, and be a great opportunity for them to, to learn. And so you'll uh, you'll see the whole map of this two months. We'll send that out to you. It'll be posted on the website. Um hopefully you don't just pick and choose which Sundays you want to be here. Now, I'm going to wait till eschatology because I want to see what happens in the end. You know, that's okay. But you got to kind of get every, all the other pieces to get there for it to make sense, right? And so that's what we will do. We will look at the epic grand story of God and all the essential theology as revealed through the greatest story ever told. And that is the story of God through the Bible. So that's what we will begin next week uh, and carry us through the rest of the of the year, And so for this morning, we come to the, uh, the end of Habakkuk and, uh, and our look at the questioning of God and the chaos and asking those hard questions. And hopefully you've been able to see that in each one of our Sunday mornings together that um, it's okay to do that. It's okay to question God and we see Habakkuk did that and he, 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 he cried out to God and he had some real complaints and issues, didn't he? But we also see him changing and transforming as God responds to his questions and complaints. And that's a great comfort for us as well, isn't it? That not only is it okay to, to cry out to God and to complain in times of trouble, because he's a big enough God to handle that, but we also see from this great book that God answers. And God chooses to answer and be in relationship with us And so he will have that quote unquote dialogue with us as we allow him to speak to us and as we're being real with him, real in those times of discouragement and chaos. But we see a transformation happen in the life of Habakkuk and we're going to see the culmination of that this morning. So what I'd like to do is just do a quick uh, recap. I'm going to show some uh, and reference some scriptures throughout um, Habakkuk. Again, it's just the first Uh, You know, it's just three chapters, but there's a couple of verses from each chapter that I want to highlight to remind us of the story of Habakkuk and what we've covered so far before we bring it to its end, all right? Uh, And so in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2 and verse 5, as a reminder of how this whole thing started, if you remember way back when, it was about eight or nine weeks ago, the story opens up with Habakkuk crying out to God. And he's crying out to God in the chaos of what's around him. You remember there was was so much immorality and injustice in in Judah with the people of Israel, let alone all of the pagan nations around him. And Habakkuk was saying, God, how about you bring some judgment to all of this unrighteousness, starting with your own people and, and then with the nations around him. And so he starts in verse 2 of, of Habakkuk chapter 1, and he just starts by saying, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or I cry out to you violence, and you will not save. That's how he starts the whole thing. He's crying out to God. God, how long are you going to tolerate all that's going on around me? We feel like that, don't we? We talked about that often. You, you read through your news feed, or you turn on the news, or however you, you kind of catch up on what's going on in the world, and you say, God... When are you coming back? Jesus, please, how much more can you take? But isn't it amazing that every generation of believers in the last 2,000 years have said the same thing? But even before Jesus, in all the history of the Hebrew people, how often they say, when are you going to send that Redeemer that you've been promising? And so he cries out to God, how long am I going to have to keep crying out, God? Because it seems like, and I've said it often, Habakkuk is telling God, God, you seem like an absentee father. Like, yeah, you say you're there, but you're not doing anything. So then in verse 5 of chapter 1, God responds to him. And this is God's response in in verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I love that. That's God's response to Habakkuk's first question. So God is saying to Habakkuk, it might seem like I am absent and not doing anything, but I am working behind the scenes. He says, I'm doing something, and it's not just in the future, right here today, in your life. So look around and be astounded. Be in awe and wonder. I mean, doesn't God deserve that? But he says, open your eyes so you can see this, because oftentimes we get those blinders on, And it's the woe is me mentality, and we forget, wait, God is doing something. He has been, he is, and he will continue to. And he says, so open your eyes and see. And he says, and we love this, I probably said it every Sunday. And he says, even if I told you, Habakkuk, what my plan was, you still wouldn't believe it. And what's beautiful is right after that next verse, God tells him, he says, I'm going to use the Babylonians for judgment. And what does Habakkuk say? I don't believe it, right? And so God's, of course, just kind of chuckling, saying, I told you you wouldn't believe it. So what does it mean for us? Just kind of reviewing. It's like we want God to just kind of lay out all the blueprints so we can follow along and say, okay, I see how it's going to go. But God says, I could do that for you, but you still won't believe how I'm going to get you from point A to point B. So all that's left is for us to trust. So we've talked about waiting faithfully. Habakkuk had to learn that lesson. But it's okay to learn the lessons through the struggles. We often have to do that in life, and Habakkuk had to learn that lesson. God says, wait. He says elsewhere, he says, if it seems like I'm delaying, just wait a little bit longer. We're going to see that in a second. So in chapter 2, in chapter 2, the Lord answers him, because Habakkuk has another complaint after, like, wait, you're going to use the Babylonians? So he's got another complaint, and then God says in chapter 2, write the vision, Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Remember, we covered that, and is basically God saying, "You're going to write this down on tablets, so it's never forgotten." In like big bold letters, like uh, like one of those signs you see on the road, like one of those billboards. And he says in verse three, "For still the vision awaits its appointed time." This is God. It hastens to the end; it will not lie. So God is saying, "Hang in there. It's my timing, not yours." If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. That's God saying, if it seems like I'm really slacking, just wait a little bit longer. <laughs> Keep waiting. How's that for an answer? God, have been waiting. Wait a little bit longer. He often says that to us. But are we waiting faithfully? He says it won't delay. Isn't that cool? What would God mean by that? He says it won't delay. I mean, From our perspective, God often delays things. But we know that's not true because there's always the God perspective. And God says when it happens, it's going to be the perfect time. So from our perspective, this side of heaven, we say, God, why are you taking so long? Look at everything going on around us. How could you how could you tolerate any more? And God says, wait a little bit longer. We also know that. Part of the reason that God delays, part of the reason I believe it's been 2,000 years and every generation wants the Lord to return is because God is gracious and merciful and and, and desires that none would perish. He wants more and more worshipers to be in his future kingdom and to glorify him now on earth. And so we see that um, it says in the end of verse 4 in chapter 2, that famous verse, the righteous shall live by faith. He says, Don't be like the Babylonians. He goes, Live by faith. That's waiting faithfully. And then finally, in chapter three, where we are today, just a to recap from the last week uh, or two, it starts off in verse one and chapter three a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigai Oneth. And that's that kind of funny word that is a musical annotation, where he says, Okay, I'm going to write a song. So, chapter three of Habakkuk is his response, Habakkuk's response to God after all this transformation. And he says, I'm going to write a song of praise. And so it reads like a psalm. If you ever read the psalms, this kind of flows like one. Remember we saw last week that word selah, three times used in the chapter, and it means to pause. To kind of pause and say, okay, God, let me reflect on what you're doing. Because he says right at the beginning, he says, remember God came from Taman, the holy one from the mountain, right? And It's like he's saying, and then Selah, pause right there. Let's remember the mighty works of God. You follow me? She said, let's remember the mighty works of God. Then he pauses, and throughout the song, there's a pause. And last week, we talked about we need to pause, to press that pause button in life. Now, somebody shared with me earlier, they said, you know, I went home and I tried to push the pause button, but it didn't work. I was like, yeah, so then they were like, it's probably indicative of my life. Like, I can't even push the pause, but my pause button doesn't work. Anybody feel like that? Like, you have one, you'd love to use it, but it's not really working. And so God says, Selah, even in the song, pause and reflect. So we talked about singing songs of remembrance. We sang it in one of our songs earlier. Songs of deliverance, no longer slaves. Singing songs of deliverance, that's what we do. Do you know, church, that we are called to be worshipers? It's why God created us, so we could worship him now and then for eternity. And so we're going to be worshiping God in so many ways. And says, that's why I created you, to worship you. Sing those songs, whatever that looks like in your life. How God rescues you and redeems you in everyday life. Sing those songs, so to speak. Tell others about it but we also sing songs that we remember, don't we? Why do we sing worship music and songs? Because the words have truth. They're either taken right from the word of God or they point us back to him and, re- and remind us who we are and who, who God is and what he has done. So church, we should always continue to sing those songs of remembrance and deliverance so we never forget, so we never forget. And then that brings us to where we are. Actually, it was in verse 2 there of Habakkuk 3, after he gives that sort of, uh, that word, Shigai He says, Lord, I've, I've heard the report of you and your work. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. Remember, he was just like, okay, God, I remember how good you were, how good you still are, how good you will be. But God, all those good things you did in the past, can you do them again now? Can you do them again now? Because I really, really need it. Look at all of the immorality going on around me. All that injustice, God, please do those mighty works again now. And then he sings a song of praise. We saw that last week, just the song. It was a great poem, very poetic. And then we bring it to today. But, you know, before we look at just these three, these three verses, can I make an, another note about that, that funny-sounding word, Shigioneth? That's how he starts chapter 3. It's actually, it's a note to the worship leader. It's like he writes a song and he says, here's the, he gives it to the praise band. He's like, here, let's do this song that I just wrote for God. We're going to praise him. And he gives this annotation, like put this in your notes band so you remember how to play it. Doing some more thinking and research on that. And that word, we're not so sure all that means exactly, but it certainly has this special connotation. And probably why Habakkuk would have included it. And listen, it, it kind of means this, that this song should be played and sung as a song of victory and triumph, with freedom in the worship. Like, just let it go. You want to raise your hands and sing real loud? He gives that word Shigayonath, which means don't just play this song like the previous one, was a, which was a dirge that came from God. He's like, this is a song of victory. It's a song of triumph. So so stand and and raise your hands high, and we just we singing that right. And so we we're to do that. So he even gives the note. He's just like this song is so important. He tells the band, you got to get it right. You got to get it right. This is how you play it, and play it like up tempo, upbeat, because this is a song of deliverance and freedom. And a song of victory and triumph. So play it that way so the people, the people can have their their passions stirred up, and as they sing these these words of truth, and they can just let it fly and and sing and praise God with freedom. I hope you worship God and the freedom that Christ gives you. Because Christ He says, doesn't He say, for freedom He has set us free? Did you ever read that? For freedom He has set us free. What does that mean? Christ set us free so we can have freedom in all those things. And we do it all in respect of God and we never take advantage of that. This idea of Christian liberty, like we don't want to take those liberties where we shouldn't. But at the same time, we don't swing the pendulum the other way and not recognize and remember that we have freedom in Jesus Christ. Freedom to worship him and adore him as the spirit leads. And so these last, so we talked all about that song and we looked at it. And then we see the last three verses. And here's what it says. This is Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. And finally, Habakkuk comes to this humbled conclusion. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on those high places. And that's how he ends. What is he saying there? Can I read it one more time? He says, though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Even if the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. What is he saying? Remember the context, too, that they were about to be taken into exile. Remember that? He saw his brethren in the northern uh, tribes of Israel that they were captured and taken into exile by the Assyrians, the big bad Assyrians. And then he he is writing during this time where he knows because God is telling him that the Babylonians are about to come and take them captive and bring them into exile. So Habakkuk is saying this is what's happening now because there was famine in the land. I mean this is all historically accurate by the way and we know what was going to happen in exile. And he's saying, even though God, all is stripped away and everything is laid bare. All of those crops that I planted, even if they all fail. If I have no olives to make wine or oil and I have, I have no fruit on the vines, I have no crops in the fields. I don't even have animals because I look at the pen and it's all empty. There's no cattle, there's no sheep, there's no goats, there's nothing. He says, God, you could take it all away, yet I'll still praise you. Sound a little bit like Job. And that's what Habakkuk says. But it's so powerful because then he just ends verse 19, he's like, the Lord is my strength. You know what he's saying there, church? He's saying all of those resources are given by God. But that's not the important thing. I'm not going to worship those animals or those crops or the fruit of the vine. I'm going to worship the source. You see the big difference? We get caught up in putting our hope in the resources, which are good, but our hope is to come in the source with a capital S, and that is God. So he comes to that conclusion. He says, God, the Lord, meaning the one in charge, the almighty, he is my strength. Not all of the the things that God does bless me with, those things are good from God, but I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket, so to speak. I'm not going to rely on the things, the blessings. It's been said many ways, like we rely on the blessings and not the one blessing, right? Let's worship the creator and not the created things, Let's remember, it's not about the resources, but the source. The resources are good and given by God, but that's not where we put our hope. Because Habakkuk says, even in times of distress and despair, I still choose to praise you. I will praise you. Church, what does that look like in your life? Just reflect for a minute. How does that play out in your life? Can you think about times in your life where you've kind of felt like Habakkuk or like Job where so many things that you counted on were just taken away, either either by your own mistakes or just things that were out of your control, that God allowed it, whether it was a job or loved ones taken from you way too early, or other relationships perhaps that were broken. Maybe it was money and you were doing well and all of a sudden you have very little or none and Where does that leave us? Where does that leave us in relation with God? Do we say, well, God, I guess you don't exist or I guess you have forgotten me or I guess you just don't care because I don't have all the things my neighbor has or all the things I used to have? See, where is our focus? See, this is the lesson that Habakkuk learned, but he learned it through struggle and it's okay He learned it by bringing it to God and even complaining and saying, God, I don't think you know what you're doing. And God answered him. And Habakkuk listened and then he complained some more. And then God spoke to him and he listened. And here is now a humble man. A humble man who has come to this conclusion. God You are the God of ages past. You have blessed. Remember we saw in the poem from last week, he remembers this picture of God like the sunrise coming in all its power and glory and just touching the whole earth. And he's picturing him like a sunrise. And, you know, we get the benefits of the sun, the warmth and the light, but you can't stare into the sun because it's so powerful. And you can't get so close because you will die. It's like with God. And so Habakkuk remembers, wait, God, you are great. And I remember what you did by rescuing our people out of Egypt. And he remembers all that and and he says, God, please do it again now. I know you can. See, there's our prayer, church. We pray, God, and we can pray expectantly because God makes promises. We say, God, I know you can. I am 100% convinced because I believe that you can. But Lord, will you do it again now, please? That's our humble attitude before God. That's what Habakkuk says. He says, I remember all those things, yes, at the beginning of the chapter. And then he says, can you do it again? Do it again now. So that's our position before God. God, you are the Almighty. You are the strength. You are our strength. You can do it again. I 100% trust and believe in you. So, God, will you do it again now in my life? Will you show up big time like you have in the past? Because I don't see it happening. But what does God tell us through Habakkuk? Just wait a little longer. Wait a little longer. Wait faithfully and patiently because I'm at work. But see, that should be a great comfort to us, church, because, well, aren't we just so consumed with having everything like right here and right now? It, it's part of life. It's, it's part of our world today. It's, it it's kind of always has been, but it's even more intense, I think. We get everything when we want it, how we want it, and in some ways, it jades us, and we say, well, I guess God needs to be like this too. So therefore, God, I'm going to pray for this, and then it should happen right now. And doesn't he sometimes do that? He does, and sometimes we pray a big prayer, and God answers it directly right there and then, and we praise God. And sometimes he says, you need to wait a little longer. What Habakkuk says is, in either case, I choose to praise God. And that's our position before God, that we choose to praise him. And so he says in verse 19, having that that gratitude, realizing the gratitude of the heart leads to joy and rejoicing. We have to have a heart of thanksgiving. Many scriptures, I'll show a few in a minute, show us, have that heart of thanksgiving. Gratitude for not only what God has done, but who he is. And then you will be able to rejoice. Then you'll be able to have that joy in the midst of any circumstances, You're, you remember the difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is really based on our circumstances, how good things are, how much money we have in our wallet. Joy is not based on that. Our joy runs deep. We are to have that joy no matter what's going on around us, regardless of our circumstances. And so he says, God, the Lord, is my strength. In verse 19, he gives this funny little thing. He says, he makes my feet like the deers. Now, we want to have deer feet, deer hooves. But what's the picture there? Did you ever see a deer kind of of like prancing through the woods or maybe crossing right in front of your car? Oh, God. But you see how they kind of walk and run and, and gallop around, and they can go in all kinds of terrain. They can walk in a very clear and open and, and cushy field and they can walk up on mountains and they can, they can you know, traverse all kinds of terrain. And Habakkuk is saying, God, you make my feet like the deer's. No matter what the terrain, no matter what the circumstances, I can just look like I'm gliding. I can make it look effortless, right? And that's what he says. He's say, God, you make my feet like the deer's feet. No matter what I'm walking over, maybe some rocks, maybe a a rushing river, maybe just some really nice, beautiful grass and fields. But either way, you make me look like the deer's feet, like I'm going to have joy in the midst of no matter what. That's what he's saying. And then finally he says, he makes me tread on my high places. Let me tell you why that's so important, why it's so cool. He says, you make me tread on. On my high places. Elsewhere in scripture, especially in the Psalms, very simply, the high places are where God is. Very simple. It's the presence of God. So often we see that, God's presence. It says he is in the high places, on the mountaintops. He is in the high places. And Habakkuk says, finally, in the last verse, God, you're with me. You bring me right to where you are. He says, you make me tread in those high places. I want to walk with you, God. You see, throughout Habakkuk, God reminds Habakkuk of his power, but of his presence. He says, Habakkuk, I'm with you. I'm with you, and it might seem like I'm delaying, but I'm still with you. I'm not leaving you. His presence is where it's at. It's about being in his presence. That's where the joy is, church, about being in his presence. It's not about all the presence with a T that he gives us. It's about being in his presence, in his midst, realizing that only through the blood of Christ are we reconciled to God, and through that we rejoice. No matter what else is going on, we have been reconciled to our maker, and it's been done through what Christ did on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the pure and simple gospel. That Christ died for our sin. That he was buried, giving proof to his death. That he rose again, as he claimed he would, to defeat death, and he lives again. Therein lies the gospel. It says if you believe that, if you accept those as true facts and you put your faith and trust in it, it says you will be saved recognizing it's only through Christ that we're reconciled to God, because then we say no matter where we are, no matter what the terrain is in our life each and every day, we are treading in high places. Do you believe that? We are treading, in a sense, on the holy ground in high places because God is with us. Believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and so God walks with us every step of the way. And then he ends, he kind of gives this other musical Annotation, a funny way to end that, right? A little anticlimactic, but it's okay because it brings it all to fruition. To the choir master with stringed instruments. So there's a verse to remember, and just say that to each other. You know, how are you doing? To the choir master with stringed instruments. Now, it's like a musical thing, right? It's, but he started the whole beginning by saying, band, shigayonith." Like, play this with like, it's a victory and triumph song. And at the end, he reminds them, I'm giving this to you. See, here's what he's saying. This goes to the choir master, to the praise band, the worship team, to play it on instruments. It's a song to be played, and it should be played forever because it's a song of remembrance, and it's going to help us to remember how good God is. I'd like to just point you to a few verses that kind of back this up, and we'll bring it to a close. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what's the promise? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Love it. See, he's making a promise there. He says, if you come before me, just pray. Tell me what's on your heart and your mind, prayers and petitions, supplications. Let me know. You don't have to be anxious. Just tell me what's on your heart. That's what God is saying to us as children. But he says, but if you do it and you come to me with an attitude of gratitude, you've heard that, or with a heart of thanksgiving, he goes, then here's the promise. I'll give you that peace. You won't even understand how it's working. It's going to just wash over you and guard your mind and guard your heart. Some of us, maybe you're struggling with anxiety. You're struggling with some really deep, difficult things. You say, God, I just need some peace in my mind. Here's the answer. God promises that. If we just come before him, just let him know what's on our heart. Cry out to him like Habakkuk did, but we do it with a heart of thanksgiving. Not, God, you owe me, but, God, I'll praise you no matter what. Thank you for all you have done. Thank you for the little bit that I have But God, help me. And that's the great promise. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. See, it's that gratitude that can help us to rejoice during the difficult times. We see Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only that, Paul says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I know you know this one. Knowing that suffering produces endurance... And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, that's kind of the flow and story of Habakkuk, right? We have these sufferings, but going through it, waiting faithfully, produces endurance. And when we get to endure during the tough times, it gives us character, and that character produces hope. And the hope does not disappoint. Psalm 103 if you're feeling oppressed today in any way, take that to heart. The Lord works righteousness and justice in your life. He satisfies you with good. Do, you know what? We're all getting older, right? Don't we kind of want our youth to be renewed so we can fly and soar like an eagle? Yes, we do. God, make it happen. You can do it. But he said, the psalmist is remembering all that God has done. But when he's remembering, what's he doing? Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. God gave me this, bless the Lord. God took this, bless the Lord. God has redeemed me, bless the Lord. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. The writer of Hebrews says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's a beautiful one to remember. Through Him, meaning Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. continually would have to mean, through any kind of terrain, no matter what's going on in your life, we, we use our lips to praise God and thank Him for all that. And finally, First Thessalonians 5:16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's the lesson Habakkuk learned. He learned that. Wow, I should always be rejoicing because God is always good. I should pray and let him know what's on my heart so I can have that that peace of the spirit wash over me. And I should give thanks in all circumstances. Why? This is what God wants. And this is what he deserves. You know, we, we sang earlier Today, in the opening of our time together, we sang this song, Yes, I Will. We've been singing that a lot during this series, kind of our theme song, because really in many ways it's taken right from Habakkuk. And look at what, what, I'm just going to read it to you. It won't be up on the screen. I'll just read it. You remember the song, I count on the one thing, the same God that never fails. Like Habakkuk is remembering what God has done. He's done it before. You won't fail me now, which means he's going to do it again. And he trusts in that, right? The same God who's never late is working all things out. That's when he tells Habakkuk, like, hey, I am doing something. Wait a little bit longer. It won't delay. It'll come in perfect timing because I'm never late. And we sang those words. In the chorus, yes, I will lift you high, even in the lowest valley. I'll bless your name and sing for joy, even when my heart is heavy for all my days. Those are the verses we just covered. No matter what's going on, I will praise you. And then in the bridge, we sing... I choose to praise. That's the conclusion Habakkuk comes to. No matter what, I choose to praise you. It's a choice we make. We choose to praise God. And then we're about to sing one last song to kind of bring it all to a a close. A song we're familiar with called The Stand. And in this song it begins by saying, You stood before creation. Eternity's in your hand and you spoke the earth into motion. That's Habakkuk remembering God you're the great and almighty God. You're like that beautiful and glorious and powerful son. You're God and I'm not God. You stood before my failure. You carried the cross for my shame. That's like Habakkuk remembering, God, you rescued us before. Do it again. And then we sing those simple words. So what can I say? And What can I do? But offer this heart to you, God, completely to you. That's where Habakkuk lands. There's nothing to do but praise you, no matter what's going on. Whether there's fruit on the vine or sheep in the pen, I will still praise you. So in a moment, we're going to sing, church. We often do that. We sing at the end of a, a message. But this, this song, The Stand, it's called, is, is so appropriate because it reminds us no matter what, we're going to choose to praise and we're going to stand, even if it's not even physically, we can do that. But we stand, even in our hearts, that we stand before God with our hands raised high, our hearts abandoned to Him because of who He is and what He has done for us. You see, worship is a response. When we worship God, whether it's through music or by reading His Word, crying out to Him, whatever, meditating on His Word, it's a response to His goodness, it's a response to the truth of His Word. That's what worship is. We're responding to the worth of God, the word worship, worth-ship, giving all the worth to God that is due his name. So our worship to God, whatever it looks like for you, is your response to how good God is. And that's why Habakkuk ended his letter, letter with a worship song. He says, i got to respond to this. God has shown up. He has reminded me who he is, and I had this kind of back-and-forth struggle with God, but he reminded me who he is. He reminded me that he is at work. It's about his presence and then his very promises. That even in the midst of loss and discouragement and despair, and yes, even destitution like Habakkuk, when all resources are gone, we still have the source. When all resources are gone, we still have the source. You know, we talked last week about pausing. We pause and then we respond. Because we need to pause so we can reflect on what God has done and how good he is. Because we can forget. It's easy to let the things of life kind of get in the way. But we press pause. And then we respond. We press pause and then we respond. That word selah means think about what you just read or said and then hold on for a second and just meditate on it. Just be still before God and listen. We're going to close with this song, singing it and worshiping God. It's just a final reminder of all that God has taught us through Habakkuk. Can we just take a selah moment and just press pause and you can close your eyes, you can Just whatever it is, just take a moment or two and just say la and just press pause because then we'll stand and respond to God through a song of worship. Worship and praise to our God just like Habakkuk did.